It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Get get to your Pete Alonzo. I'm sorry to cut yeah. you off. So Pete Hoffman is on this bender, which I respect, that Pete Alonzo is an MVP candidate. He really wants Pete to win an MVP. And luckily, Pete plays in the National League where he's eligible to win an MVP. Because if he was in the American League, just give it to Shohei Otani and call it a day. I mean, it's just hand in the award. Let's all move on. And Pete's very adamant about it. I, I get why. Because if you watch the Mets every day, like I think a lot of people do who listen to this, you see Pete's gotten better defensively. He's made every play this year. He's made a couple of diving plays. I don't think there's any doubt that every year Pete keeps getting better defensively. He drives in a lot of runs. He's hit a lot of home runs. Not hitting for a high average quite yet. And you look at him and you say, yeah, he's, he's a tremendous player. We watch him every day. So I was saying to Pete as we were shooting the crap, the problem is, Hoff, he's got to bring the war up. And I'm not saying that for my sake, but last year we, we spent a bit of time talking about this, that Pete's war was weirdly low. Like there were too many guys ranked ahead of him, and I didn't fully understand it. I know that war is based on base running and, you know, obviously defense and hitting and you factor it all together, and it's how much better would he be than the replacement player. Like I get what it is. I don't know how it's calculated. I don't think anyone knows how it's calculated. Uh, It's calculated in different ways by different websites. But as much as I want to ignore it, the reason why we can't ignore stats like that is that people look at it. GMs look at it. Voters look at it. So if you want to ignore stats because you don't like it, which I used to do, you're doing yourself a disservice because the people that matter look at it. You know, when Pete's trying to get a contract extension, his war's going to be brought up. So we could ignore it and say it means nothing, but we'd be denying the reality that does mean something. So I made that comment to Pete, and I said, I bet his war is really good. Now, just watching him this season. I know it's only 13 games, but check out his war. I bet you it's high. His defense has been great. He's driving in runs. How could it not be? So we look it up, and his war is... 0.2 or 0.2. So again, I pause and say, well, it's a counting stat. So I'm sure everybody's war is 0.2, 0.3, kind of in that range. We start looking up other players. Freaking Max Scherzer has a higher war than Pete Alonzo. Every Met has a higher war than Pete Alonzo. Eduardo Escobar. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Eduardo Escobar, but like his war, and it's only 13 games was 150th in baseball. And I, I'm i at a loss for words about this. For, for whatever reason, this metric hates Pete Alonso. And I can't figure it out because we're watching him every day. We're watching Lindor every day, who's b- the war b- loves Lindor. Like, Lindor always has a high war. And I love Lindor's defense. I do, and he steals some bases, and that's great. But you're really telling me, watching both guys every day, that Lindor's triple Alonzo? Like it, 
it doesn't make sense. And unfortunately, Pete, it's why Alonzo will never win an MVP. Sure. And it's it's disappointing because, like you said, like I've been overcritical of Pete Alonzo's defense. And as far, as far as the Mets as a whole, their their defense has been phenomenal besides the era that uh of Francisco Alvarez had the other day. They've been they've been almost flawless, you know? And and I'm overanalyzing Pete because he lost out to Paul Goldschmidt and everyone says how amazing he is. But I, I don't understand how it's possible. They both play the same position and Pete has been flawless. So what gives Goldschmidt the edge by so much? I don't know what makes in a 13-game sample size that we're at Alonzo so average. Like, you can't tell me his base running is that bad where it brings it down. It's just, it's very confusing. So I think at some point we will get a war expert on to teach us how it's calculated. Because I got to know, man. I got to know, like, I want to calculate war myself too. I want to spend one night calculating everybody's war. And I want to see how the hell we get to this, but well, whatever. I mean, it's just, it's, it's frustrating. It's sort of comical. Uh, as far as this road trip is concerned, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an interesting one. 10 games on the road, three in Oakland, f- uh, three in Los Angeles, four in San Francisco, the a one, they have to take advantage of. They're facing Caprillion, the former Yankee prospect. They're facing Fuji Nami, uh, the import from Japan has been awful. He has not pitched well. And they're facing J.P. Sears, another lefty. So the Mets continue their stretch of facing a lefty in just about every series. But at least they get two righties. We see Kodai Senga Friday. We see Carlos Carrasco trying to bounce back on Saturday. And we see Max Scherzer on Sunday. They will face Kershaw in L.A. So they're going to get another left-hander. And I haven't been able to fag- figure out past that. So I know at least we're seeing two more lefties in the next five games, which means that same issue. Now, Tommy Pham's played well. I don't want to kill him. Like, Pham's been fine. He's actually produced. But that's when it's not ideal. It's not that most ideal lineup when they're facing a lefty. My goal going into this trip, and we'll obviously do plenty of pods throughout it, including after each series, I would sign right now for five and five. I would. Two out of three in Oakland. Let's say lose two out of three in LA. It's tough to win every series and get a split in San Francisco. You do that, you're five and five. You do that, you're 12 and 11 coming home to take on the Washington Nationals. I would be good with five, five. Would you be good with five and five, Pete? I mean, it won't be the greatest split of all time, like last <laughs> year's trip, but I guess it's serviceable. It, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but like if you finish April almost 500, I'm, I'm kind of happy too. It's it's not the way that you want to start a season. It's not like we're taking off and destroying teams and, and crushing the division, but you'll take it right now. You'll survive this month because of the, all the injuries and all the oddness in this beginning part of the season. Well, I want to make something clear. I'm not looking to be at 500 through April because the way I have this laid out is right now they're seven and six. So they're, they're game above. They go five and five out West. They're one above, but then they've got three games against Washington in their own building leading into the showdown with the Braves where they play them four times. Then I'd start to say, Hey, go win that series. Go sweep them. Now you're a couple of games above 500 heading into the Atlanta series. Then they have a really soft part of their schedule. They play Detroit, Colorado, 
Cincinnati, and Washington. I mean, think about that stretch. Doesn't mean they're going to win all those games, but I'd like to be a few games above 500. I'm not saying just be 500 getting out of April. I think when you have a long West Coast trip, and granted you're facing a bad team, you're facing a good team, though not off to a great start, and you're facing a team I'm not sure about. Like the Giants, I don't know. I don't know if they're any good. I'm not sure how good the Giants are. I think the Dodgers will be fine. They may not win 110 games, but they're clearly a playoff team. They're clearly a team that you may have to go through if you're trying to get to the goal we want to get to. So I think when you're on the road for 10 games, it's just, it's not reasonable to say, hey, go get seven out of 10 or else I'm pissed. I mean, I guess I could say that, but it's not really being realistic. So it's more just the difficulties of a 10-game trip. And it is the longest road trip of the year. The Mets are not playing a road trip or a longer road trip than the one they have coming up. Now, one other game, because I nailed the first one. Going into this series against Miami, we played the Alvarez prediction game. How many games will he start? And I don't know if I got each game right, but I did say he won't play Friday, Saturday. He'll play Sunday. He won't play Monday, and he'll either play Tuesday or Wednesday. So, so far, I'm batting 1,000. I want to do... I guess we could do the whole road trip, but just for the Oakland series to start, because we will do other podcasts as we go on. I think it's going to be the same thing, Pete. I think he starts one game. Uh, I would guess it's going to be, I don't know. They play Friday nights, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. So I doubt Nito plays Friday, Saturday. So I'm going to go. They are facing a lefty on Sunday. I think he starts one of the, one of the three games. And I guess I'll go with Sunday. I, you know what? They will play Nito back-to-back. He'll play Friday night, Saturday afternoon. They have the off day yesterday. And I think Alvarez plays one game in this three-game series. What about you? So you think it's going to be the Sunday game? Yeah, I'm back and forth about that. It's either Saturday, Sunday. But I'm, I'm confident he plays one, Nito plays two. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think he's going to play two, but I'm going to cheat here. He's going to catch Saturday, DH Sunday. That's a good guess. I, You know what? I was thinking about that possibility because Buck opened the door to it, but I'm still not going to I'm still not gonna say it happens. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. I want him to catch every day. I do not want him to DH because it's going to turn into a crap show, but I mean, I think that he's going to start to do that. I don't mind him DHing because it gets his bat in the lineup and it gets him major league at-bats. I just want to remind everybody that for as much as you hate Tomas Nito, the flexibility of then pinch hitting for Tomas Nito, I don't want to say it goes away, but it's less than ideal. Because if you do, you're losing the designated hitter. So I don't think you're pinch hitting for Nito unless it's desperation time, like down three in the eighth inning or something. Is Guillaume the emergency catcher? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, who, who's the emergency? Just in case something happens. You yeah, know. I don't know. Most of the time, the emergency catcher never happens. But I'm going to go one game in Oakland, one game in L.A., one game in San Francisco. I think he's. I think Alvarez starts three of ten games on this West Coast trip, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's, I'm wrong. He's going to get five. He's going to get five, but he's going to get about two, two at DH. He'll start three catcher, at least two at DH. Uh, let me get to a couple emails. I know this is a longer podcast, but guess what? There's an off day coming up on a Thursday. So there's more time to listen. And we got a lot of complaining emails. So we should hear from the people. 
Let's start off with Jimmy Kearney. It's time to pay attention to Tyler McGill. He was serviceable at times, good starter in 2021. He was a very good starter in 2022 to start the year. He didn't have success returning from injury. I agree. I mean, he was very good for a month, got hurt, was never the same. He's off to a good start this year. Peterson, kudos to him. Took advantage of the opportunity and pitched well. You said in the past, Rico, you felt Peterson did enough to earn the fifth spot based on his performance last year. Perhaps you were basing it more on spring training performances. I didn't agree, but they're both in the rotation now. No, I was basing it on last year. I thought Peterson had a good year as the swing guy and deserved an opportunity to start more. Jimmy goes on. These three starts showed me McGill is a major league starting pitcher. There's nothing left for him to learn or work on a triple A. A few bumpy starts are bound to happen, and he should be given as much leeway as they've given anyone else in the rotation. Um, Yeah, I think McGill and Peterson have both, through these three starts, earned more opportunities. And the good news is, if Verlander walked through that door next week, besides getting into a, hey, what do you do with Carlos Carrasco debate, let's see if he bounces back against Oakland, my answer would be six-man. That was my answer at the beginning of the year. That'd be my answer now. I don't think you necessarily have to make a choice between both guys. The Padres, who the Mets are facing, they go six-man. They've been doing it. They've been doing it. Uh, let's go to Tomas, or Thomas. I'm calling him Tomas because of Nito. Before I get to the point I want to make, here's the part where I kiss both your asses. All right. Kisses our ass. And he says a lot of things that are very nice. We appreciate it. Okay. So as both of you are aware, the offense has been semi-dormant, which has left the fan base screaming for our top prospects to come up, including me. The two prospects I basically need to see by May 1st is Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos. Vientos, another home run on Wednesday, by the way. It's clear Escobar's cook, and even though I'm not as low on vocal back as others, if he continues to offer little to no power production, it'll almost defeat the purpose of him on the team. My biggest problem is with the way the current bench is situated and that it'll be almost impossible to have two or more of our prospects up at once. As of right now, our bench is currently constructed as Nito, LaCastro, Guillaume, and Pham. If we call up Baby, Beatty, it's almost a guarantee they DFA LaCastro moving Escobar to the bench. I do think he's right about that. If they called up Beatty tomorrow, barring a fake injury for Escobar, it's the end of LaCastro. And I like LaCastro as the weapon that he is. He's not much more than that, but I like having that weapon. And he's been great at it. He comes in a pinch run. He gets the job done. If the team wants to call up Vientos, it'll require either a DFA of Vogelback or sending down Gourmet, both of which I don't think the Mets are want or willing to do. I think it's great that the Mets have a nice core of young position players in AAA, but it's really going to take some tough decisions to bring them up. Obviously, the Mets could get crafty if they send down pitchers, but as both of you are aware, the Mets are completely unwilling to move away from four-man bench and 13 on the roster. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this problem and how it can be navigated so the young kids can make their presence known. All right. Uh, a couple of things. If you call up any bat, it's the end of La Castro. That's the easiest end. That's the most logical end. It's basically the Mets saying, look, we want offense, and to get it, we're going to give up the speed aspect that we have on our bench. And while that'll suck, I admit it's a small thing because 
it doesn't always change a game. I mean, go back to Tuesday night's game. LeCastro comes in, he pinches, pinch runs for Escobar, steals second base. It didn't matter. Nobody got a big hit. The run didn't score. So it's great, but you still have to drive guys in. So I agree. If you call up any of these prospects because you want to add some thump to this lineup, number one guy that's gone is LeCastro. Let's get to number two. And that's the Luis Guillorme factor. I love Luis Guillorme. If they called up Mauricio, Luis Guillorme is done. Because Luis Guillorme's value, besides his great defense, which I love, is his, he's the only guy that can play shortstop. He's their backup infielder. Mauricio is the only guy that could really replace him in terms of that quality. He can play shortstop. He is a shortstop. That's all he's doing in AAA, which obviously we have a little bit of a problem with. Well, what are we doing? He should be playing the outfield. So Mauricio comes up, Guillaume goes down. Any prospect comes up, LeCastro goes down. If you want to call up all three of them, then you are talking about DFAing and Eduardo Escobar, which... I still wouldn't do, by the way. As much as I'm ready to call up Beatty and give him a chance to play most of the time, I wouldn't necessarily just get rid of Eduardo Escobar. I would try to make it work because I think he offers value as, A, a bat off the bench, a guy who can play numerous positions. And we just talked about how they have no bench players. As bad as Escobar has been, and he's been bad. We talked about that hater spot on Tuesday night. Oh, my God, these horrible choices. Luis Guillerme or Tomas Nito. You know who I would take over both of them? Eduardo Escobar. I would. I, I get he's hitting 100, but I would. So I, I wouldn't be in a rush to DFA him, but he's right. It's complicated. We talked about this in spring training on how you can make this roster work. I, I would choose to, like you said, send Guillermo uh, down. I would send, I guess I'd get rid of Castro, but I'd probably DFA Vogelback. Because I think Escobar gives you that versatility. Can play any position. Not saying he even play outfield, but if he needed to, he probably could. There's a lot of flexibility with him. Vogelback is that dude who, if he's not DHing, can't give you anything else. And that's killing the team. LeCastro, same thing. Just a, It's just a speed aspect. You've yep. got to get rid of these guys that can only do one thing. Yeah, it, it's... Going to be interesting to see when Billy Epler, between the combination, because it's a combination of guys performing at AAA and showing they're ready and guys not performing at the major league level, what's that moment where he makes a change? And I would hope they don't do it when they're really struggling as a team. Right now the Mets are seven and six. We're not panicking record-wise. Is this the moment to make that call? Is this the moment to say, all right, let's get Beatty on this roster? Because I think he's the number one guy to call up because of the Escobar struggles. Vientos was the guy that made the most sense in spring training, but again, Tommy Pham's done a good job. He hasn't failed. So right now, I think Beatty sort of moved ahead of him. Both guys are hitting the ball, by the way, so it has nothing to do with their performance down there. But I think Beatty's kind of moved ahead in terms of the guy that would come up here and serve as more of a need because Escobar's just been so freaking bad. So I keep on getting asked this question all the time by BT. He's like, who do you think 
is going to be the most valuable to the Mets? Who's the most important guy to be called up right now? But who do you think is going to be the best out of all those prospects? It's tough to say because we just haven't seen a lot of these guys. And so what I would end up doing is just based on who's the biggest prospect. You know, Brett Beatty is obviously, after Alvarez, put him aside. Beatty's the biggest prospect. I think Mauricio is a shade out of the top 100 and Vientos is behind them, but I don't know what I'd be basing it on other than rankings, because here's the the reality, the truth. We watch the Mets, you know, Joe DeMaio does a great job watching all these guys. And so I certainly value kind of his prediction on it, but I'm not watching his at bats and triple. I'm not watching all these guys. So I would basically just do it off of what I've read and heard, which would lead towards, Beatty, Mauricio, then Vientos, which isn't necessarily fair. Vientos set the cover off the ball. I know he strikes out a lot, but they're all performing well. And that's great. And it's going to put the pressure on Billy Epler. Okay. Well, when do you make the move? Either way, long episode. We apologize for that, but there was certainly a lot to discuss. Uh, not just the current state of the team, but obviously the series victory against the San Diego Padres. We appreciate you listening and emailing the pod, the RicoB at gmail.com. Certainly try to mix in more emails as we continue on. Got a big weekend against the Oakland A's. We'll certainly have a pod after the series ends, maybe mix in a couple of surprises in the meantime. But we appreciate you listening. LFGM. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronio podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.